Your own. Can you go in my pocket or? No, just lay it up there if it's not going to get away. Hopefully. I'm afraid I'll jerk it off though somewhere. Okay, good morning. We're going to look at several scriptures this morning as we look at this uh, third in the series. We've been looking at the uh, what's really called the five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace or reformed theology. And we've looked at the first two parts of that, which were total depravity and unconditional election. And today we're going to look at uh, the third and one of these parts that is traditionally part of the five points of Calvinism. I've heard several people, in fact, people that I've talked to a number of times, a lot of different people refer to themselves as four-point Calvinists. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say that. I actually have a friend who calls himself a three-and-a-half-point Calvinist. And I'm not sure exactly where the half comes in there, but I do know that with, with he and with other people who call themselves four-point Calvinists, that the big problem that they have Um, is this particular point that we're looking at this morning. We start talking about limited atonement or particular atonement. This is really where a lot of people, for one reason or another, have a conflict. When the first Baptist churches were started, and you may not know a whole lot about the history of the Baptist church, but in 1609 and 1633, when the first Baptist churches were started in England, um, there was a major conflict over just this. And in fact, the names of those two Baptist churches um, reflected a conflict over this particular doctrine. One were called General Baptists, the other group called themselves Particular Baptists, and that was the one group believed in particular atonement, the other group did not believe in that. They believed in a general atonement. And I was listening as well a number of years ago to a really well-known pastor who is for the most part reformed in his theology, but during a, a kind of a question and answer session at one of the meetings, somebody asked him if he believed all of the five points of Calvinism. And he said, yes, if you'll allow me to um, redefine or give you a a little bit of a different definition of limited atonement or particular atonement, then I can say that I agree with him. And he went on to give a kind of a different understanding that he had of it. Now, um, I say all of that just to say that this particular doctrine, of all of the doctrines we've looked at so far, even among some people who would call themselves Reformed, is sometimes a difficulty, something that uh, gives them a bit of a hard time, and they don't know if they can totally agree with that. Um, but I think we can say that uh, whether uh, somebody is Arminian or whether they're Reformed, still some people have difficulties with this. Now, uh, this is actually the last doctrine that I came to a full understanding of. So when I first started looking at Reformed theology, and I was convinced of uh, the fact that God had unconditionally elected us, and looking at all the other things, those seemed to, to fit very well, and this was one of those ones, it was really the last one for me to come to, for me to say, yes, um, I do believe that this is biblical, and I want to give you some of the reasons for that this morning. Now, uh, what I'll do is start with a definition, which we've done before. This will be a really brief definition. You could go to the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it'll give you a much more detailed definition. We're not going to go into all of that. I'll just give you a kind of a a summary definition. Um, I really like to call it particular atonement, or definite atonement, if you've been reading uh, some of the books that have been provided or recommended uh, by R.C. Sproul in particular. Um, he may call this definite atonement or particular atonement. Uh, limited uh, is maybe a more confusing term, but at least we're, you know what we're talking about. First of all, the definition. The definition of particular atonement is this. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of the elect, not for all people, 
in general. So Jesus Christ died to pay for the sins of the elect. We've already talked about that last week, unconditional election, the fact that God, before the foundation of the world, chose specific people and, uh, to save. And this is really saying that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that his, he was specifically sent to pay for the sins of the elect, those people who were chosen by God. Now, I think this is really all part of, or it really goes along with the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, uh, which we believe and which is uh, very, very biblical, that Jesus Christ died as a substitute. There are a lot of different views of the atonement, um, which are not biblical, but we believe, as Scripture teaches, that Jesus died as a substitute. But not just as a sort of a general substitute for all of mankind, but he died as a substitute for specifically those people that God had chosen to make his people. And so uh, in the churches that I was raised in, uh, when growing up in, in the background that I did, people would have reacted to this immediately, almost immediately, by saying, well, what about John 3.16? You know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And they would go on to say that Jesus died for everyone. But if you read the text, now I started thinking about that, John 3.16 doesn't actually say that. It doesn't say that Jesus paid for the sins of all people. Um, and we'll go into a little bit of this in just a few moments because I want to give you some scriptural supports. This is a biblical doctrine, that that is who Jesus died for, that Jesus died for the elect. And let's look at a couple of passages. Uh, there are some of these you may be able to, may have time to look up. Some of these will be very familiar to you. First passage that uh, I think teaches this at the beginning of the Gospels is Matthew 121. Uh, when the angel appeared to Mary, talking to her about the fact that she was going to bear a son, that she was going to have a virgin birth, this is what the angel said. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. And that was the purpose of Jesus in coming, was to come to this world to die in order to save his people from their sins. Uh, Not just mankind in general, but specifically his people. Um, If we go to the teaching of Jesus in John chapter 10, uh, in both verses 11 and 15, uh, Jesus makes this statement, and I'll really read uh, 11 and 14 and 15. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, Jesus goes into a long section there talking about those who have been given to him by the Father, those who are his. Those are the ones that God has chosen from all time, from all eternity. But here Jesus says twice, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, in Scripture, especially in the teaching of Jesus, sheep are always the elect. They're always the people of God. You'll see this in some of the parables that Jesus tells, but the sheep are the people of God. So when Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep, I'm laying down my life for uh, the elect, those who belong to me. And that's what he's saying. Uh, We can go uh, again to Ephesians chapter 5. And if you want to go to verses uh, 25 to 27. Now here, uh, uh, Paul is particularly talking about marriage and relationship between husbands and wives. But notice what he says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, who does Paul say that, that Christ died for? 
He died for the church, that is, his people. So those are the people whose sins have been atoned for. Those are the people's uh, sins who have been paid for. And so I think this is a biblical doctrine. You can see this in a number of places. We'll look at another verse here in just a few moments because I want to talk about some objections. Uh, One of the things that comes up, or there are several objections that come up when people start talking about uh, the idea of a particular atonement or a limited atonement. And uh, one of the first ones that I think we ought to answer is this. What about texts like John 1.29 or uh, John, uh, 1 John 2.2? 2? And I'll just read those for you. Uh, John makes the statement at the beginning of the Gospel of John when he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then you've got a statement in 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And some people look at that and say, okay, well, well, wait a second then. Don't those verses say that Jesus uh, paid for the sins of everyone? It says the whole world here. So isn't that, wouldn't that counter what you're saying? And that's a, a verse that some people would have, or verses that some would have difficulty with. What you have to understand is that in John's writing, and you'll see that throughout the Gospel of John, you'll see this throughout the epistles of John, the word world has several different meanings. And you have to look at the context. You look at the context, what is he talking about? Sometimes the world is all unsaved people. As Jesus will say that, the world hated me. He's not talking about about anybody except for unsaved people in the world. Other times, the world will refer to the planet, the actual planet that we live on. Sometimes it refers to all people. It has different meanings. Um, And in this particular case, in both of these cases in John, uh, what I want us to understand, or what I think we ought to understand here, is that world refers to the nations. So, what, what John is saying here is that this gospel, Jesus coming to save people, is not just for Jews. Jesus didn't just come and to die for Jewish people, but he died for people from all nations. So in the context here, it's the nation. So uh, the people are thinking, and many of the Jews thinking, when the Messiah comes, the Messiah is going to save the Jews. And of course, in the Old Testament, um, God had said, to Abraham, in, in you, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And in Isaiah as well, you had statements um, almost identical to that. God had intended to save all kinds of people, not just Jewish people. So when John says this, he's saying, not for ours only. I'm not just talking about saving Jewish people. Jesus is going to save people from all nations. Now, I think you can support that um, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Um, And we ought to let Scripture interpret Scripture, and I think this is a very good passage um, to interpret that. Listen to what John says, and because John has also written the book of Revelation. Listen to what he says in Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And they're all speaking, they're all speaking to Jesus here. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. You specifically ransomed people for, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So you see what John is saying there, uh, what he's recording? He's saying Christ is worthy because he ransomed specific people from every tribe and nation and people and language. He ransomed people, uh, not just Jews, but he chose and paid for the sins of people from all nations. So that's the idea that John is getting across when he says it's not just for us only, not just for Jews only, but is for a salvation that is going to apply to people all over the world. So we should understand that. Jesus ransomed a specific people for himself. 
And those are the sins that he paid for. Um, That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.10, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially, or we could say specifically, of those who believe. In other words, he came to save people, not just Jews, he came to save people from all nations, and specifically those who believe. And those people who believe are those who have been chosen in Christ um, and the ones, as Chip talked about this morning, who were dead in Christ and Christ has made them alive. And so those are the people that he ransomed. So we should understand that. And I think if we understand that, that's not an, it's not an objection. The, the scripture is not saying that everybody's sins there were paid for in general, but that Jesus died specifically to take care of the sins of his people. Now, um, as with all of these doctrines, one of the main things that we're doing is, to, is talking about why is this so important. Now, these aren't just theoretical doctrines, okay? We believe this, and now we've got bigger heads, we've got more information, we've got more knowledge. That's not what this is for. Uh, why is it important? Why is this doctrine in, in particular important? Well, there are really three things that I would put down. First of all, The doctrine of particular atonement is extremely important because it, again, emphasizes the fact that it is God who does everything necessary for our salvation. Not only were we dead in trespasses and sins, so the weak weak wouldn't even come to God on our own. We're so sinful, we don't seek God, we don't want to come to God, unless God does something in us first, we're not going to come to him. And not only that, he chose us. He chose to save certain ones of us before the world was ever created. And now we see that Jesus is doing everything for our salvation. We don't accomplish any of it. The, the interesting thing with the people that I talk to that would disagree with this is they want to throw out this idea that Jesus made, made it possible for everybody to be saved. He's, he died on the cross so that it's possible for everybody to be saved, but he didn't save anybody in particular. He just made it possible. And what does that do? That emphasizes me. See, I still come to God. There's still something I have to do. Uh, there's still he's, he's made this possible. It's as though Jesus were, were going out and instead of actually saving drowning people, he were just throwing out uh, flotation devices. And if you can just swim to one of those, grab onto it, you can be saved. But see, that still puts a lot of my salvation or a good bit of it on me. This is what I do. This is something that I contribute to my salvation. And what this emphasizes is it's not. All of our salvation is about God. Every single part of it. And so once again, this demonstrates or it teaches us that our salvation is from first to last something that God does. And he accomplished all of it specifically for us. The second thing that I think, the reason why I think this is important, is that it, is, it makes universalism impossible. In fact, you might call it the antidote or the counter to universalism. There are a number of people, there have always been throughout church history, people who have, been, have taught what's called universalism. In other words, Jesus Christ died on the cross, and so all people are saved. So whether you, no matter what religion you're part of, eventually everyone will be saved. You have people like George MacDonald, um, in, in the past, who was a Christian pastor and writer in Scotland, who, who was a universalist. Uh, you've had people more recently, like Rob Bell. Some of you may have heard about him on the news. Uh, he wrote a book most recently called Love Wins. Basically, uh, basically the idea there is that uh, God, God loves everyone, and he wants all men to be saved. God always gets what he wants, and so all people will be saved. And so Jesus' death on the cross just generally pays for everybody's sins, and so all people are saved. Um, That's not correct, 
it's not biblical, and I think that the doctrine of particular atonement um, is a refutation of that as well. There is no universalism. Um, it's not as though people's sins were, or everyone's sins are paid for. And I think logically, you could say that. If Jesus Christ paid for the sins of every single person who's ever lived, then their sins would be covered. Their sins would be paid for. Um, and there would be no reason for them to be judged by God um, eventually or eternally because all of their sins are paid for. But the fact they're not. Um, if, if, we are, if we have an understanding of this that's correct, we understand Jesus Christ paid for the sins of those who are his elect. And he didn't just generally pay for everyone's sins. Um, so there is no universalism. And universalism is an unbiblical doctrine. I think if we understand this doctrine, we understand that that is impossible. There is no uh, universalism. That's not a biblical idea. The last reason I would say that this is an important doctrine is that it evokes, I think, if we understand this, and this will do this with all of the sovereignty of God, and we understand the sovereignty of God in salvation, but the doctrine of particular atonement evokes greater praise um, and greater adoration and worship of God than a general atonement, than the doctrine of general atonement. I could say this, or we could say it personalizes salvation. It personalizes it. If I'm a believer, then Jesus died with a specific purpose of paying for my sins. Now, Jesus died for the church, as as Paul said in in Ephesians chapter 5. But the church is made up of particular individuals that God would call, like Paul, when God called Paul on on the road to Damascus. And he saved him. He reached down and saved him. And each one of us, Um, who are saved were particularly called by God, chosen by God, and then saved. He didn't just make it possible for you to be saved. If you're a Christian, God didn't make it possible for you to be saved through Jesus. He actually intended to save you when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, and he accomplished that. It's not just a matter of possibility, but actuality. This is what Jesus accomplished when he died on the cross. He made sure that people would be saved. Now, if you read... Um, I, I was reading an article by J.I. Packer, which is really the introduction to John Owen's book, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ, which is a whole book on, on a particular atonement, if you're interested in reading that. I think the article that J.I. Packer writes at the beginning of it is probably uh, worth the book itself, because he has a very good explanation of the doctrine of particular atonement, why it's so important. Um, but he talks about the fact in that book that so many people who would argue that there's a general atonement end up saying that Jesus didn't really, uh, didn't guarantee the salvation of anybody. It's just possible that people can be saved, but not guaranteed that anybody will. And with the doctrine of particular atonement, we're saying Jesus Christ actually guaranteed everything that had to do with your salvation, you would be saved. And we'll see that he does more than that as we continue to look at this. Now, which will evoke greater praise from God. I was trying to think of, of an illustration of this. But suppose I had, suppose I, uh, for some reason or another, I made some bad financial decisions, and so I ran into a lot of financial difficulty, and I couldn't make my house payment. And I hadn't made it for three months, and I'm getting letters from the bank, and they're saying, you've got to pay this thing. If you don't pay this, then you're, we're going to take the house. Um, and so I'm getting these letters, and finally I go into the bank, uh, to talk to them. Now, let's say when I'm talking to them, they say, uh, well, I've got some good news for you. There's, some pro- there's a program set up for people like you, and, and there's been some money that's been co- collected in a fund, and uh, it, it appears that you qualify, and, and anybody who qualifies, as long as there's still money that's remaining, um, 
you'll be able to have that and that they're going to take care of, of these payments that you needed to make. And well, how, what would my reaction be? Well, I would think, well, that's pretty good. You know, that's, I like that. That's a, that's a good program. But suppose when I came in, I came in to pay my, to, to try to settle things, and the person at the bank told me, you don't know anything. You're not backed up on anything. You had, there was a person that came in um, who said they were a friend of yours, that you were a dear friend of, your, of theirs, and they just wanted to pay for it. And they paid for the whole thing and called all, all those up. Which would evoke more praise, do you think? Or which would, for me, I was thinking about that, I think I would be overwhelmed by that, that there was someone that specifically, specifically um, decided to show mercy and love to me and specifically for me paid for that. Not just had some general program that made possible for a lot of people, but specifically was thinking about me and saying, I'm going to save that person. I think if we understand that, um, that helps us to understand exactly what God did. And it should cause us to praise God and to adore God. So we come to worship. You just think about that. Not only did God choose me before the foundation of the world, but Jesus Christ actually came to take care of everything that was necessary for me, for my salvation. I don't know if uh, many of you know uh, of the founder of the Navigators. The Navigators was, uh, it was a, a large ministry, still a large ministry, working especially with the uh, military at first and then sometimes in college campuses as well. Uh, the founder of that was a guy by the name of Dawson Trotman. Uh, Dawson Trotman uh, did all kinds of things as far as evangelism and discipleship and did all kinds of work like that. Is very well known for that, but he died young, or relatively young age, at least I would say. I think he's younger than me now, so that must be young. Um, but he died actually out on a boat. He went with a group of uh, young people and some other people out on a, on a boat, and I believe they were up in Scroon Lake, New York. And uh, there was one girl on the boat. He happened to ask her before they went out on the boat, can you swim? And she said, no, I can't. So he said, well, uh, just stay close to me. You'll be okay. So they were on the boat, and the whole they took a, a kind of a sharp turn, hit a wave, and Dawson Trotman and this girl were thrown out of the boat. Uh, landed in the water, and of course the boat was going for a while. Um, he decided that, that he was going to, as he said, he was going to stick with her, so he went to her, he swam to her, he held her up in the water until the boat got there. When the boat got, finally got there, somebody was able to grab her, but he went into the water and they didn't see him again. He died saving somebody else's life, and I can guarantee you that that girl whose life he saved would be thinking about that and be grateful for that forever, or continue to do that. I think the same thing is true for us. It should be true for us. We understand exactly what God did for us, not only taking us when we're dead in trespasses and sins, and choosing, not because of anything good in us, but choosing just by his love and mercy to save us, and then doing everything necessary for us, and literally coming and dying as a substitute in our place specifically, um, then that co- will cause us to praise God. I think it will change our worship. Uh, when we approach worship, we think about what all the God that did for us. Um, and I think that will change everything that we do, and it will cause us to praise him not only now and to worship him with a whole heart, but um, throughout eternity. As it said in the book of Revelation, all these people are standing around the throne and saying, you are worthy because by your blood you atoned for all of us. Um, even though we didn't deserve it. And so this is something we can praise God for. Let's go ahead and pray now.
Lord, we thank you for all the things that you've done for us. Uh, Some of the things about salvation we don't understand, particularly we don't understand why you would do the things that you do, why you're merciful to people who don't deserve it. I certainly don't understand that. But we're thankful for that. We thank you that you died particularly for us, not only that you chose us, but you did everything necessary for our salvation. Uh, We thank you for that, and I pray that that would change our worship. I pray that it would change our lives throughout the week. Uh, So we understand that since you've done all of these things for us, um, that you have a great love for us, and we'll be confident in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.